All right. Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590. The Fan, Justin Cuthbert and Brent Gunning. Ailish Forfar back tomorrow. Be good to see Ailish. Chill out text line. We all want her back. Even me. <laughs> I, I can go back to bed. Ailish could come back to work. We'll all be happier for it. Everyone will be good. Uh, we will move forward with that tomorrow. But we will move forward on this show right now with Luke Fox of Sportsnet. Good morning, Luke. Good morning. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing okay. Uh, kind of bothered by the fact that, hey, we're talking about the Leafs and what they might do and Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas all week long. And then, of course, a couple hours after our show, we get one of the craziest press conference moments in the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I'll ask you, how surreal was Friday? It really was. I mean, I, I, I've attended a bunch of these before, but the fact that Brendan Shanahan, before taking a single question, made a very uh, deliberate point of outlining the timeline of how this negotiation fell to pieces. And I, I thought it was really fascinating. And I think it's important that fans, other media members, whoever, uh, realize that we've only heard one version of events. Mm-hmm. And although, although it was very convincing, and I don't think, I don't think he, would, he would lie, it is only one person's perspective of how things unfolded. And I, I'm really curious to see what Kyle Dubas wants to say. Um, you know, he's, he's not talking right now, uh, but I'm sure he will eventually. And, and it's going to be fascinating to see what he lays out. To me, Brendan Shanahan doing it that way is basically saying, protecting his own uh, rear end a little bit, saying, hey, I wanted to sign this guy. It was him getting emotional at the press conference. It was him coming back and asking for more money than what we agreed to in principle that made this thing fall apart. If he is publicly questioning whether he even wants to be the Leafs GM, I as president have to consider that maybe he doesn't want that and start thinking about a plan B. Uh, I think it was very self-serving mm. on Shanahan's part to paint Dubas in a certain light and make it so, hey, I had no choice. This guy was wobbling on the fence. I had to make this call. Uh, but it was well some well-executed uh, PR, I think, by Shanahan's uh, perspective. Well, I think now... He- now it just raises more questions, though. Yeah, I think you outlined the only dishonest thing, right? Like, it's one side of the story. I do think it was honest for the most part. But him saying that, yeah, I had to, I really had to think twice once he said that. Like, I, I just, I don't think that was the case, right? Like, I think this was ultimately a bit of a power struggle in him. It was all about self-preservation, honestly. And, and what he was saying was about self-preservation. I think Kyle Dubas, what he was going through uh, earlier, that was in the vein of self-preservation as well. But, like, you're right. We need two sides of the story. But Shanahan's story is, hey, we wanted this guy, but we got to the point where we couldn't trust him anymore, and you should still trust us. Yeah, and but what I did find interesting, and I didn't know, and it wasn't reported, was that right after the trade deadline in mid-March, uh, Shanahan said that he, he came to Kyle and said, I've seen enough that I want you back at that point, uh, which is pretty wild. And, you know, I, I, I want to know how much it, of it is Dubas actually not sure he wanted to continue on and, and be the Leafs GM under these circumstances, having to clear things with Shanahan and possibly the board, all his moves, if that was getting frustrating for him or who was taking too much of a, a toll on, on his home life that 
he was willing to walk away. And sometimes when you're like, sometimes when you're um, fed up with something and you don't really want a job, you'll throw a number out there that is so ridiculous that it makes people say no. Right. Um, So is is that it? Or did he really, really want to stay and just overplay his hand that I'm not certainly clear on. Uh, I talked to some people over the weekend and his choice of an agent and Chris Armstrong is kind of interesting because he ranks really high up on the golf side and, and on the Wasserman group. But what his normal business is, and apparently these guys know each other through Brock university, but what is his normal uh, job as an agent is, is negotiating sponsorship deals. And in those types of deals, you often aim really high. Like say you're, you're dealing with a, a pro golfer and he's trying to get a deal with, Pepsi or Titleist or whatever, you aim really high and then you can kind of negotiate. But in employment agreements, it's kind of not cool to have a deal in principle and then ask ask for something way above above that. But employment that the kind of protocol around employment agreements works a little differently. And Armstrong, that's not his specialty. So that I find a little bit interesting too. His choice of agent and did his agent overplay the hand here? That's uh, that's really fascinating. I had heard the Wasserman part. I hadn't heard it specifically that part. And then you started talking golf and I got really, really excited, Luke. So that was actually like the best answer I've ever heard uh, on uh, at least my iteration of Fan Morning Show. But when I when I hear the Wasserman thing, obviously the name that was bandied about about regarding that is that that is also Austin Matthews agency. Now, this is typically yeah. much more of an MBA thing of you can kind of connect the dots from agency here, agency there. They're all kind of working together. You can kind of understand where guys are going to go. I don't know that the NHL works quite the same way, but I also don't know that it's nothing that Kyle Dubas shares an agency, not an agent, but an agency with Austin Matthews. All of our understanding and correct me if I'm wrong, is that those two at the very least have a good rapport, Matthews and Dubas. Where does this leave the Leafs regarding Matthews and the the kind of time crunch that they're in now? Because, you know, we can talk about all the decisions that this franchise has to make, and there are a lot of them, but they all kind of stem from what that guy does regarding his contract extension. Well, I think it's a factor to be sure, right? Like, definitely uh, Kyle Dubas, and he made a point of it. it uh, to, you know, to his credit, or possibly at times to his detriment, but he certainly made a point to establish really strong personal relationships with his players and their agents uh, and their families. Like, yes, Austin Matthews uh, is, is tight with, with Dubas you know, comparatively speaking, most superstar athletes to their GMs. Uh, I would say the same with Morgan Riley. So when these guys are asked about him, they go to back room. They say, yes, we wanted him back. You know, we, we like working with him. And why, why wouldn't they? He, like, you, you talk about players' coaches. He was like a player's GM. He would go above and beyond to protect them in the media. Remember? Like, you know, he was falling oh, on yeah. the sword for, for, the, for the penalty kill. When the penalty kill failed him against Boston. He's Power like, plays our me. toughness, Luke. Yeah. He's always, he's always saying, it's on me. It's on me. I have to do a better job. He's very protective of the players publicly and made sure they had all the resources they wanted uh, behind the scenes. So what, if you're a player, why wouldn't you want to work for, for Dubas? So, uh, you know, is, is there a closeness there between Matthews and Dubas? For sure. For sure. I think he, you know, he wanted, and, and he gave him a sweetheart of a deal. Mm. Five years as, a, as an RFA, like walk him right, right to it. All the money he asked for, 
structured in a way that was Matthews friendly and good on Judd for getting that deal. Uh, so why wouldn't Matthews want to negotiate his next deal with Dubas? That said, you know, it's, I'm not a believer that Austin Matthews is, a, is gone because Kyle Dubas is gone. You know, if you cut him the right check, he's going to stay. So, you know, it's obviously going to be priority number one or two. You know, a decision has to be made on Sheldon Keith. I think that decision will come easier. But the main, you know, negotiation or decision for the next GM, whoever it is, is going to be figuring out the Matthews thing because you have to have a firm understanding of what his number is, uh, both in years and terms, before you get to July 1 when he can re-sign and when his uh, no no move kicks in. So what a massive decision. Uh, but just because it's not it's not Kyle Dubas making that decision, I, I don't think that means uh, the sky is falling and the next guy can't come to a number that'll keep Matthews happy. So, so I've been thinking about the Dubas legacy and the strands, I guess, of this legacy. And I think you bring up an important point here. And I think one of them might be away from like success and failure that anyone below him for better and worse liked him, wanted to work for him. He cultivated a culture with everyone that he hired and everyone that he signed to contracts where it was overly positive, maybe too positive, maybe too comfortable. I guess you can spin that any way you want. But in terms of like the directionality of the organizational chart, if it was below Dubas, everyone was good. If it was above Dubas, maybe it wasn't so good. Well, I think that has to do with the, the structure, right? Like, it's really hard. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys have worked for uh, bosses who have a boss who have a boss, right? And, and, and to get stuff no, done, something. No, never, <laughs> never, Luke, never. I'm just speaking hypothetically here. <laughs> but sometimes things don't happen as fast as you might like them to in those situations, right? So if he has to, you know, deal with it, and this is relatively new in hockey terms, that the GM has to report to a president. Not every team is structured this way. But when you have to clear stuff with the president, and the president has to clear stuff with a board that has two com- competing media companies and an independent in Larry Tannenbaum. And there's a lot, of, a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a lot of voices, a lot of opinions, some of them strong. Uh, so I, I'm sure it, it gets a little taxing or tiring. You're managing down, you're managing up, uh, and throwing the fact that, you, you know, Dubas was on a, a lame duck deal and didn't have the job security. No wonder he was, he was so stressed because of the situation. Uh, and, you know, he's a fiery guy. He's an opinionated guy. He was very staunch in his vision. And maybe that, you know, helped lead to the, the rift between him and Shanahan. And Shanahan is, has shown that, you know, he has a way that he wants things done. And if, if you cross him, it, it can end very, very brutally, as he showed in that press conference. Fan Morning Show, Brent Gutting, Justin Cuthbert, talking to Luke Fox here. So what should we read into that about the next GM going forward? Because to me, it I'm not going to say Shanahan's talking out of two sides of his mouth, but they're kind of conflicting goals. He comes out in that presser, and you know I can't remember if he specifically said it or if he was asked about it and, and offered this, but he wants an experienced general manager, someone who has done this before. But if part of the problem was that you had a guy beneath Shanahan who wanted more autonomy and didn't always see eye to eye to him, isn't the whole point? of having an experienced hockey guy, somebody who 
wants autonomy and has their thoughts and envisioned on things? Like, are we, why do we think that these two would be more in lockstep? Is it just a case of a resetting of a relationship and maybe you're able to find someone that sees things in a more similar event? Because when I see that, if the, if the issue was that Shanahan kept running, uh, running up against friction or him and Dubas didn't necessarily see things eye to eye, wouldn't you just want to put someone in that you could kind of, for lack of a better term, control a little more than let's just say the name that keeps being bandied about Brad for living. I don't think he's coming in here to do exactly what Brandon Shanahan says. He's coming in here to make hockey decisions and be a general manager. If he's the guy, like, what do you think the way this played out tells us about the guy who's coming next? Yeah, it's interesting. And, and there was, there weren't a lot of clues onto what uh, is on the checklist for qualifications. Uh, he said experience. Uh, he also brought up new ideas and new thoughts. And, and I think Kyle was, uh, you know, he was gradually changing, you know, like you, you consider the Luke Shen and, and Nolachari. He probably wouldn't have brought in role players like that early in his tenure. He was more about the, the Dennis Malgans and uh, Nick Patans uh, in the early stages. So he was, he was shifting, but maybe, you know, the lack of playoff success has gone to the point where he wants a fresh set of eyes on this thing. He wants experience, but I don't think he wants a yes, man. I, I really, my understanding is that Shanahan doesn't want to be ha- too hands-on with the hockey stuff. You know, I think he wants, certainly I think he wants to have a say, uh, and that's important to him, but I don't think he wants to be in every trade discussion, every, every little thing. I don't think he wants a, a puppet. I don't think he, he, he wants to be uh, GMing from the, from the president's seat. I think he actually wants to be president and someone to take over. The reason why I think he needs experience, he, he wants someone with experience is because of the time crunch here. Uh, the amount of work and the important decisions that need to be made between today and July one are huge. Um, so to have someone who's kind of learning on the job or uh, leaning on Shanahan for every little thing, I don't, I don't think he wants to take on that much in this time crunch. I think he wants someone who knows how to, you know, get a, a contract done with a superstar quickly, make a trade trade if necessary uh, before on the draft floor, because this is, this is all going to come at, at him a million miles an hour here. There, there are some big calls to make. So you want someone who already has established relationships with the other 31 GMs. Uh, one area where Kyle Dubas certainly did have autonomy was with support staff and hiring processes. I mean, it seems like everyone who holds a position with the Maple Leafs uh, below general manager was someone hired by Kyle Dubas. And I understand Brandon Shanahan was probably a part of that and the conversations were had at the board level, but it seems like this is the remnants of a Kyle Dubas organization through and through that someone else will be taking over. So what challenges do that bring? And I guess the second part of the question is, why were the Marlies coaches fired as opposed to everybody else? Yeah, yeah, that, that's an interesting one on the Marlies coaches. Well, the Marlies coaches were all, you know, basically of Dubas. You know, he, he had been here five years as GM. I think it was, was it seven, nine it's, it's, uh, since he first got with the organization? I think, nine I think total, actually a hundred years, Luke, actually, <laughs> yeah. I think. No, but I, I, when you're around that long, it's basically you're, you, at that point, the roster, you know, I know he didn't draft Morgan Riley, but he extended him and committed to him. But basically the whole roster, all the staff, all the AGMs, it's all, it's all him. Uh, even trickling down to the Marlies, which was his baby when he, when he first 
arrived with the organization. Uh, and I remember that the time Greg Moore was hired, uh, there were some people raising eyebrows like that's, that's kind of a reach. That's a bit of an interesting hire. So uh, the fact that the, all those coaches, um, you know, yes, they were fired, but their contracts were up. So it's an easy way to let someone go. You know, Sheldon Keefe's contract isn't up. He has another year left on it. Uh, so the fact that their contracts are up, it was like, we're bringing in someone new. Obviously, a new GM wants to make his own calls. So I think Sheldon Keefe stayed because he still has a year on his contract, at least gives the new GM the option to keep him should uh, he or she so choose. Uh, whereas the, the Marlies guys, they were up, their season's over. Just let them go. Um, and because whoever comes in likes to make, put their fingerprint on an organization right away. So that's one small way. And sorry, I forget the other, the first part of the question. Uh, just, yeah. be, you know, just like, well, that's kind of where I was going. It was like, okay, the Marley's guys had no years, no term left on the deals, immediately fired. How does everyone else proceed? Like, it's like, oh, I was a Dubas hire. I still have some term on my contract here. But if someone comes in, like, are we dead men and women walking here? Because someone else is going to come in and our guy, and we yeah. didn't follow Dubas out, but our guy, Dubas, is gone. How do we proceed like that? Yeah, well, Shanahan even admitted Friday that, you know, the organization is kind of... Uh, this was a blow to them, right? Um, that, that, that there's a little bit of shock amongst the employees that day. Uh, and it, it would be no different in any job. Suddenly you have a, a, a relationship with a boss, a boss you like. Um, and, you know, I think by, all, by most reports, people have great relationships, personal relationships with Dubas. So you have a boss you like, a boss that hired you, and all of a sudden there's going to be someone new coming in you might not have a relationship with them. You don't know, they don't know how you work, how hard you work. You have to prove yourself all over again. It creates like such a tension in, in the employees. I've, I've been there, uh, not at this level, but I've, I've been there in my life. I'm sure you guys have too. It changes everything. So no wonder why it's the whole, you know, going to work today at MLSD, everyone's on pins and needles and they don't even know who the next boss is. So, I think that's normal in any workplace, and it could have a ripple effect. We've already seen it with Jason Spezza handing in his resignation. Yeah, you uh, you, you have there. Um, you know, one theory I've kind of wondered about this, and this was more of a long shot name that was bandied about, but Eric Tulski, uh, who's who's with the Hurricanes, obviously, yeah. you know, analytics uh, darling there, and much more than that, obviously. But, d you know, we look at the way the Montreal Canadiens have set things up, and I know this is not the way they would sell it, but it's kind of like Ken Hughes speaks French and Jeff Gordon makes the trades. And I wonder if there's a world where you bring in kind of a quote-unquote hockey man. I'm just going to spitball here. What if it was like a a Ray Shiro, Eric Tulski tandem, or does Brendan Shanahan, and I want to be clear, I'm not putting this as a knock on him, but does him being there, is that going to be kind of the hockey man? Will there not be a two-headed monster here at Leafs GM? Like, are we sure it's just going to be, okay, player or person X, Brad Treliving, Ray Shiro, whoever you want to name as your guy, or do we think there could be potentially kind of a splitting up of those duties? I'm not ruling it out. I mean, Shanahan said he was open to anything, so... Uh, and certainly if, if any company in hockey can afford to pay two salaries, it's probably MLSE. So I, I'm not ruling it out. Uh, I don't know if you want to complicate matters too much. That's where I lean, uh, yeah. Like, like there's already a, a lot of people involved, and if you bring in two people, where does that leave Pridham? Uh, you know, th there's been the notion out there that maybe Pridham just gets elevated. Uh, but I, I would be surprised 
because Shanahan, you know, stressed the experience angle. If it was uh, Eric Tulski or Brandon Pridham, um, I, I think we're, we're looking at someone uh, with a longer track record in the actual GM's chair. Um, so I'll be sh- I'll be shocked if it's someone like that. But also, like, how many how many more cooks do you want to add to this kitchen? Uh, so we'll see how it plays out. I, I really don't think they've uh, gotten too far down this this road. It sounded it sounded like Shanahan was was pretty committed up until a few days ago to bringing Kyle back. So uh, I'm sure he's getting overwhelmed with phone calls and resumes right now. I think it's such a coveted job in the hockey world. Even after the the lack of playoff success, you see a, a young, exciting core. And, uh, there's going to be people lining up around the block for this job. Last one for you, Luke. Do you think the supposed infighting or disagreement inside hockey ops ultimately helped establish the ceiling on this group that we've seen in the playoffs over the last couple of years? Like this dysfunction in yeah, in like the front d- like like it's been on the, the ice. Like it's been nope. no, not that. It's been like oh, the, the, I hear fighting in the other room. Like if they're not on the same page, if they're not making decisions that are going to always put this team in the best position, do you think part of the blame? Because it's been all on the players, been all on the coach. Do you think the fact that there are too many kicks, cooks in the kitchen, two guys who never saw eye to eye, no real plan? Because, hey, they look at things a different way. Do you think that has as much of an impact as anything else in the failures of this team? Uh, no, not, not as much. I, don't, I wouldn't even say they never saw eye to eye. I think they did at the beginning. I mean, uh, it was quite a bold move to, to choose Dubas over Lamorello. I mean, I, I think it's just repeated failure in the first round finally you know, starts to cause friction. I, winning heals everything, solves everything, losing, you know, deepens the rot, I would say. Um, but I, still, the players had chances to win these series. They had chances to win these games. The coach had the chance to outcoach the other coach. Uh, I, I, I feel like, yeah, there, there's definitely a, a disconnect or some level of dysfunction in the, in the later couple years, maybe, uh, of this regime. But at the same point, you need you need the players to to show up. I, I think there's there's been too many excuses, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pointed upward. And I, I think you know, as Morgan Riley said last time we talked to him, he's like, the players are on the ice at the end of the game. We're the ones. And I actually would like to see more players talk like that. Yeah, you're right, Luke. But I'm thinking about things like I don't know if you're with me here, but I was thinking about Nazem Kadri and why he was traded in a knee-jerk reaction. Like, did they both want to do that? Did one want to do that? How did that decision come to pass? I'm thinking about hey, Kyle Dubas has changed. Like, he wants this now when he used to want Dennis Malgin. Why is that? I just think now everything's a little bit under the microscope, and I'm thinking back at things that maybe didn't make sense or were a little bit questionable at the time and trying to figure out exactly why those decisions were made, and we're going to continue to do that over the course of the next couple weeks here before we, uh, well, assuming that we're not talking about a new general manager ASAP, which we may have to do given the situation for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Luke, we appreciate you coming on this morning. Enjoy the holiday Monday. All right, you guys too, even though you're working. Make the most of it. That's Luke Fox uh, of Sportsnet. Yeah, like I, I, yeah, to excuse the players, like it, it's wrong. Luke Fox is right in that in that sense. Like to to take more pressure off them would be completely wrong. But what organization runs at its best mm-hmm. when decisions are made 
with the lack of uniformity, right? Like, I, I understand, like, if you just have a bunch of people saying, hey, Kyle, you're the best, that move sounds great. Like, yep. you need a little bit of that constructive criticism because then it just becomes into, it's, you know, the, the echo chamber, mm-hmm. everyone's on board. You need difference of opinions. But if one person is fighting for this little thing and then the yep. other person who has just as much power is fighting to go in this direction, like, where does it leave you in the end? I composited an even more direct way. It feels like everybody everybody has their job, right? Sheldon Key for whoever's going to be the coach of this team. It's his job to prepare the team the best way they can. Kyle Dubas or whoever will be the general manager going forward. Well, obviously not Kyle Dubas. It's their job to put the best possible roster together. And then, hey, they can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it seems to me... Brendan Shanahan's job on top of setting all of that and being in charge technically of all of that is the culture setter. And what is the word we keep coming back to with all of this is culture, culture, culture. And there is definitely something. Now, I, again, I think this is a little overstated, but the idea that showing the players, because I have been a big believer that a player leaving is the one thing that could shake this core to its earth and make them wake up and say, wow, there truly are consequences. I don't think this would apply to any other GM in hockey. Maybe Dubis is close enough to that group to be the kind of punch in the mouth moment for them. So that's the thing I, I kind of go to with this, but definitely a fair question for you to posit about, about how everything is connected there for sure. Uh, we got a jet cause we got someone who's been inside uh, executive know. board, someone that actually knows what they're talking about as opposed to us. Mike Fuda after the break, we'll ask him about the power struggle and where this leaves the Leafs. The best blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, the Maple Leafs discussion rolls on. Let's bring in Mike Fuda, former assistant general manager with the LA Kings and Sportsnet analyst. Good morning, Mike. How are we doing? Good morning, gentlemen. How are you doing? Uh, we're good. So so what did we see on Friday? Do we see the end or the termination point on a good old-fashioned power struggle? Like, what, what was your read on what happened Friday in the disbandment of the Maple Leafs front office? You know, it was just it was just something to watch right from the beginning. I mean, my only experience, my experience was in Los Angeles when there was a change made, and obviously it was a completely different scenario, but I mean... I guess it's just something we can once through here. And, and unless you're behind the doors, you really don't truly know. But that um, was something right from Kyle's emotional press conference, which when you roll back to Shanny's, clearly he didn't want him to have that conversation. But um, all in all, just it, it's like the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's for me, it's the most storied, it's the best franchise in sports. So anytime news is news, even when it isn't news. So when you clearly make make news and, basically pull the curtain back the way they did. To, uh, and I mean, now the stuff that's kind of coming out is it's just something to watch. So hopefully Shani can find somebody here quickly and, uh, and get back to work because uh, again, the timing of it is, is very much of the uh, essence. And I mean, for just to give you an example for our situation in Los Angeles, you know, we had won a couple Stanley Cups as a group. Dean Lombardi was our general manager and president, and Daryl Sutter was our coach when we had won. So when we started to falter, first thing, the one thing Dean did, which I felt was really explains the kind of person he was, a general manager, is he made sure that everybody that was part of the Stanley Cup uh, championships always had one year longer on their contract than he did um, as, as the general manager. And that way, with there any tough decisions were going to come, everybody was going to be protected. You know, you had a safety net to fall back on, which is, I felt, 
and still Phil was one of the best things a general manager can do. I know owners don't always love it, but as far as <laughs> once, once you've won a couple of times, you have a little bit more leeway to do stuff like that. But, and, and then as things, you know, we started, you know, we had a couple of guys get involved in small fight stuff and, uh, you know, get themselves in a little bit of trouble and the team started to falter. And you could see, you could see that, you know, the relationship was starting to fray a little bit and, but, you know, there was a little bit more sparks with Dean and Daryl, et cetera, et cetera. But, and Luke Robitaille was getting ready. You know, he was he was set to take over as president of hockey operations. Rob Blake had already been brought in. So you could see some things happening. Uh, it's just a very uneasy feeling uh, for staff. And, I mean, especially when you went with somebody, even myself and Dean at that point, there were some, you know, there's some fractures when you spend that much time together and, and, and you have success and stuff. But it was we ended up playing in the Anaheim on the Sunday night, and you could just feel a bad tension. The next morning, we got back in the office, and uh, and uh, Dean was trying to get a hold of Dan Beckerman, who was our our president, or he was basically Mr. Ansheets, our owner. And uh, and I remember his assistant yelling out, "Well, Dean, uh, he's not available today." And I went, "Well, that's pretty strange that Dan's not available." And all of a sudden. Out of my office door, I saw Dan walking by, heading to Dean's office, and it was like a movie. I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> it's coming down. And Dean Dean was let go. Daryl was let go. Emotional day. I mean, you're looking one in yourself. I mean, I okay? And then they brought me in and told me that I was probably going to be one of the only remaining staff that was, was left on along with Jeff Solomon. And it's an emotional day. Um, you always, there's probably an easier way when you have time to do it because in that case, you had two guys that won two Stanley Cups and you like to see them, you know, we announced the whole new staff like two hours later. So it was pretty obvious that we didn't come up with this, you know, or they didn't come up with this in the morning over breakfast. It was, <laughs> it had been planned for a while. So it's a completely different scenario, but that's the only one that I've intrinsically been involved in. You look at this situation, guys, and you're like, Hey, I mean, there's a lot of people under contract because they're going to be bringing in a new general manager. There's probably going to be some new people involved in that procedure as well. So it's a very uneasy time, but again, it's a lot of work to be done. That's for sure. So I think, I think something interesting, and I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with the difference being uh, you guys won, but one of the criticisms that's been levied at this Leafs organization, and, you know, this can go all the way back to several, you know, front offices ago, is the idea of the disease of blue and white. It's a country club there. Everybody's way too comfortable. But the situation you just described in L.A. was one where everyone was taken care of, and the whole point was for everybody to be comfortable. What is the difference between fostering an example or an environment where, there is accountability, but people are comfortable and they feel protected in their job or however you want to word it versus some of the criticisms that have been levied at the Leafs of everybody's safe. And yeah, they're comfortable because there's no, they know there's no consequences to be played. Like how fine a line is that to walk as an organization? Well, I think one thing both organizations do, and I haven't seen it not being part of the Leafs is there's state of the art, everything. So there's spoiled rotten and rightfully so it's the national hockey league from the practice facility right up to the travel the way they travel. And I would say, I guess the difference with us, and it's not a knock on Toronto, because again, I'm not behind their closed doors is when you walk down the stairs, Daryl Sutter was there. <laughs> so as much money as you were getting paid, <laughs> I don't know whether you guys have seen some of Daryl's pleasantries in his, his facial expressions. There was nothing but accountability going on downstairs and comfort was earned. Uh, so Again, it's it's a different scenario. Um, the Leafs are a great team. I think Kyle. I mean, when you look back at, at any general manager, I think particularly at the deadlines, this the moves he made, I thought were outstanding, um, and it didn't pan out. I mean, I wish I've always said I wished 
I really trumpeted the year that he, you know, I thought they were really set up. There were no fans in the building when he brought in Felino, and they started to address the grit factor then. And in my opinion, they didn't fail. They just got injured, right? So the result was a failure, but you never really got to see the fruits of what you required because of injury. And then they seemed to get off that and go back away from it and then try and get, you know, address the toughness and the hardness again at this this deadline, which they did. But uh, it'll be it'll be it'll be quite interesting again because there's so many good hockey people there and uh, and through this process, which is going to be no matter how you slice it, it's got to be expedited quite a bit. I mean, I'm sure there's there's a lot of great candidates and stuff, but at, at this time of year, you need to have someone in place that obviously Brandon's got to be comfortable with that knows the league. And uh, knows everything about it, but he's going to have to. Like, there's two styles to it as, as, as well. Some people immediately bring in their own people, and others go in and just I hate to say it, but maybe they just take a torch to it. And a lot of people are gone. I know when Dean initially came in before I was even hired, he kept on probably 95% of the staff. And then about five months later, he made mass changes, but he gave everybody an audition, so to speak. And uh, and when you look at the lease, like when you look at their executive page, it's a it's not a quick read. There's a lot of people, so it'll be very very interesting. I'm sure a lot of them are outstanding too. As, as I think Shani acknowledged that that there's some really good people as far as who they have in place to run their draft, etc. But anytime you bring in a new general manager who's clearly going to want to have uh, say on who his staff is and obviously the coach, and I mean yeah, the whole there's a couple things. One thing, when you've got somebody above you, like Luke Robitaille would have been when like Dean was the president and general manager. So anytime we wanted to make a trade, you know, we'd do it internally as a hockey group. You always had the Mr. Anschutz who's our owner and Dan Beckerman. They didn't want to read about it in the newspaper. Mm. You, you, we were never, ever questioned about a trade. Um, it was just, you know, if there was big money involved, they wanted it explained a little bit better. <laughs> and Mr. Anschutz was wonderful. Like the only time I saw Mr. Anschutz, like, other than the stand, like on the ice picking up the cup, <laughs> so it was pretty cool. That was your owner, and he was more like he looked more like Thurston Howell the Third than some of the New Age owners. But <laughs> he was a real true-looking billionaire, and uh, it, w- it was an awesome feeling. And, and the thing is, if you allow people to do their job that way, then when they do it poorly, you have all the rights to fire them, right? Because they it's their own piece of work, it's their own work. That's why coaches in the National Hockey League, as much as it drives you nuts, management sometimes they make their own lines. They fill out their own lineup because if that's force fed upon them, how can you hold them accountable if they fail? So they, they are, they're entitled to make their own lineups. And I think that's pretty much universal across the league. So, and the, the is from just a Toronto standpoint, like this whole, like this Austin Matthews thing, Austin Matthews, in my opinion, loves being a Toronto Maple Leaf. Okay. Now I know that I had relationships with players that we had won cups with. They were absolutely devastated when I get let go and they voiced that. But they didn't. They were Los Angeles Kings. So you don't, as much as your true emotions, and that's great that he's grown up uh, with with that great relationship. And I'm sure Kyle's really proud of the way these guys came out and went to bat for him verbally. These guys are Toronto Maple Leafs, and they're professionals, and they're paid. And it's not, well, my my general manager's gone, so now I'm leaving town. I don't think Austin Matthews is going anywhere at all. So that's just something that's emotional. But from a fan standpoint, to think that, all these guys are just going to pack up their bags and leave because because the Leafs moved on from Kyle, I think is just, it's just not even sensical. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because we haven't given much thought to that today, probably because, you know, it does seem a little nonsensical. Like it's definitely something on, on, on the fan base's mind. 
and it's key, right? Like you can't some, bring someone in here that's going to grate Austin Matthews if you expect uh, this to work as effectively as you want it to. Um, but yeah, it does seem like that argument uh, might be a little far-fetched. I do want to ask you about... You know, I've been thinking since Friday and even beyond how a successful organization runs. And there's like a line between groupthink and there's a line between like an internal tug of war. I mean, groupthink works if the guy who makes all the decisions and everyone's supporting is just brilliant, right? Like, why wouldn't that work? There have been smart groups if someone's before. Just, if someone's undefeated <laughs> and is batting a thousand, like it, it works out. But if, and it also can work out if you have that eternal tug of war where two smart people are going back and forth and making sure they're not making mistakes. And I think it can work out that way as well. But in your eyes, like what sort of dynamic makes a strong organization and one that is not, is going to fill the gaps, but is also not going to be bogged down by information and opinion. Trust, uh, trust, respect, uh, a smaller group, um, you can churn. That's what your scouts, they can feed you all your information and you get to that group where you've got an inner think tank. We had a group, I think it was, there was four of us in Los Angeles. Um, I think Blakey's got it now. It's like Glenn Murray and uh, Nelson Emerson and Luke would probably be in there as well, I would assume. And, and there's that trust factor. And this is, this is the thing about the Leafs. I mean, people right now, this is like, I don't think anybody saw this coming because they have done such a good job of keeping everything internal. And, you know, when they, when they chastise players, they do it internally. You don't see this, this discourse uh, and the animosity are quite, I mean, it was professional animosity, but it was still very intense. Like this whole, you usually don't, even when things don't go well, you don't see it walked back the way it was starting with mm-hmm. Kyle's thing to Brendan feeling the need to, Hey, I've got up. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to tell the version of how things went from my end of things. And it's, it's, and in the Toronto market, that just turns into must see TV and then must see speculation on what actually happened. And he said, he said, and now there's like 900 trades being leaked that could have happened. And there might be one of the 900 that are true, but it just, whenever that, curtain is pulled back it gives people more fodder to uh to guess and you know uh, it is it, just something to watch and i honestly and that's the thing because this team has been really really good right so it's not like this is a team that's they, they they've been incredible in the regular season there has got to be something from either a chemistry standpoint or a coaching standpoint that's off in the playoffs because to see these teams still playing and and knowing that the leafs a game is probably better than anybody left in this whole thing. And the fact they couldn't find the A game at a consistent level was so much to gain personally, financially for the whole city, how they couldn't find it on a consistent basis is tough from a, from a fan standpoint. And it's, and it's just head shaker from a hockey executive standpoint, because when they were going and they were going a lot during the regular season and they showed flashes of going, it's just amazing you can't find that consistently consistently on the diet. I don't think it's because you don't care, but there definitely is something chemistry wise that you've got to, it either is through the coaching staff or it's got to, whether it's internal, there's got to be, there's got to be something that'll push through to the next level. Cause it's just, it's baffling that I guess that word was used by Kiefer baffling, that they're not still playing. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm kind of baffled myself still, uh, Mike. Really, really appreciate the time. Uh, hey, can I get one quick? Yeah, uh, of course, discussion. of course. That's pretty good, Justin. I just want to say, your dad 
one of the classiest human beings in the hockey industry. Not only is the best at what he does. I mean, I, he was my good luck charm. At any any time, we were eight and zero. I think it was when he called games, and I would literally would come in and walk by, and if he wasn't calling the game, I was like, oh Jesus, we're in trouble. So, <laughs> anyways, glad you're carrying on the legacies, especially the best in the industry. Oh, I appreciate that. I, I don't know if the Carolina Hurricanes are thinking the exact same thing right now after a couple uh, overtime losses, but appreciate the words. Uh, well, I, don't, I no longer work for Carolina, so I don't know much. I don't need it. <laughs> the current Carolina I don't need his lucky charm that is going on. <laughs> well, that's an important point. Maybe it's just for you, Mike. Uh, we appreciate you coming on this morning, and uh, we got to do this again. Uh, uh, appreciate the kind words. Absolutely. My pleasure. Have a great day. That's Mike Fuda. Sportsnet, formerly the Carolina Hurricanes, formerly the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, currently in love with your dad. Uh, in terms of the one thing, I didn't think this was fair to throw at Fudo with just a couple of minutes left, but, you know, I do this. I could throw you a curveball and put you in a bad spot, and I don't feel as bad about it. So the thing that keeps coming up, and I don't know how much you've had this conversation, but let's say it all goes super squirrely. And I agree with Fudo that probably Austin Matthews is going to say, okay, I don't really care who the GM is. I want to be a Leaf. Give me the number, and it's all going to get sorted out. Sure. But if it can't, and you have to trade him, Do you have to go full nuclear rebuild? Can you have a team where Mitch Marner is the best player on it? And I don't mean that from just a talent perspective. I mean it from a winger perspective, and I mean it from a personality perspective. And I realize this is quite a question uh, to to bandy about for a couple minutes here, but I'd be remiss if we didn't get to it today because, honestly, that outside of the GM is probably the conversation I've had the most this weekend with people. It depends on what you get back in return, right? Like, if you get back market value, which is going to be nearly impossible, Mm -hmm. it's a couple players or one brilliant player coming back the same way. If it's draft capital, then clearly you are rebuilding and it it would behoove you to get rid of everyone and start from scratch organically and actually try to build something from the ground up rather than, hey, these are core four guys. We're going to supplement with John Tavares and then we'll just bring in anyone who makes sense to try and supplement this roster. Like, it depends what you're going to get back. I don't think you will be... There's no chance you'll be as good. Mm -hmm. There's no chance you won't take a step back. But if you can take a minor step back and push it forward, then... Yeah, maybe I, I, I see I, I see reason why uh, you would try to hold it all together. But the John Tavares thing does loom, right? Like yeah, Tavares, it does. Of course. Tavares, without Matthews, Marner, and Nylander, and Riley, and maybe even Kyle Dubas, it seems far-fetched that you could win with John Tavares soaking up $11 million at this point, right? Like, it still yep. seems far-fetched. It seems like they could have, under the perfect circumstances with everyone back, mm-hmm. everyone feeling good after a lengthy playoff run, a supplemented roster, more guys who just want to be a part of this and chase titles. Like, that makes sense. But if you take away the king, yeah. the kingpin here, and you're still left with $11 million of Tavares and no wiggle room around mm-hmm. that, I don't know how you can expect to be good and you might have to refresh anyway because you've got Marner and Nylander coming up on their contracts sooner than later as well. Yeah, I go back to it outside of you getting another top 10 player back in return, which you're not going to get for Austin Matthews in a trade. I just, I don't like the idea of handing the car keys to, to Mitch Marner. Maybe that's unfair of me. Maybe he would completely prove me wrong. I don't feel good about that situation. Well, you that. haven't been able to win with him with Austin Matthews yeah. to have him win without Austin Matthews seems totally unrealistic. Yep. And um, and that's why this is so scary because I think it's a very unlikely scenario, but it is not a 0% chance that this ends up going scorched earth. It's it's entirely in the cards if Matthews decides to blow it up. I don't think he will. So this is probably a moot point. But if he does, I really think the team would have to consider going complete scorched earth, move Willie, move Mitch. And with that, let's transition to the Blue Jays and Speaking golf. of scorched earth.
It's a double guest block next with Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic and Bob Herrig of Sports Illustrated. We will do that up next.